you have a copy of God's Word, I would like for you to open up to the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, and while you guys are looking for that, um, yeah, um, Pastor Matt, myself, and uh, our intern Eric Reynolds, we, we went to a conference earlier this week called Together for the Gospel, um, just for a time of encouragement. Um, it was a time where we were convicted by God's Word. Uh, we were not only encouraged by God's Word, but we were encouraged to, to catch up and hang out with old friends and, and colleagues. But most importantly, uh, one phrase stood out as, we, as about 15,000 people were singing loudly to God. Uh, Matt Merker stated that this is not only a foretaste of heaven, this is a foresound. So it's like something when we gather together every week as God's church and we sing loudly and passionate to God, that it is a foresound of what we are going to experience in heaven. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Uh, this is a, a passage that we're probably a little bit too familiar with. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in, in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in this moment, just being aware that you are here, being aware, Lord, that, that your word tells us that you dwell amongst the praises of your people. So, Lord, that, that is something that we do not want to take lightly. So, Lord, we just pray in this moment that you would begin to open minds, open hearts to, to hear from your word. We pray, Lord, that your word would land on fertile ground so that it may bear fruit. We pray, Lord, for anyone who may be distracted right now and the enemy is trying to cause the word that is going to be preached to be taken away. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would give them strength to lean in, to hear your gospel preached, Lord. We pray, Lord, that for, for some of us who may be uh, who might have been walking with you for a long period of time and have been too familiar with this passage, Lord. We just pray that you would show us new truths. Help us lean in, Lord. Help us be encouraged of, about the gospel. And Lord, I pray for myself, Lord, in spite of all my weaknesses, Lord. I just pray that you would empower me with your Holy Spirit to preach your word with compassion, with conviction, and with clarity, Lord. Lord, we just pray that you would be exalted in everything that we do and say this morning, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was in school, I remember being taught about the law of cause and effect. The law of cause and effect, it is a universal law that states that every single action in the universe produces a reaction no matter what. Every single effect in our world on the earth has a cause, has a original starting point. And we see this in our own lives where we see that every single action has a positive or negative response, a reaction. And what we are going to see in our passage today is the, the reality of this law of cause and effect and how it plays out in God's plan of salvation. Now, this is a passage that many of us may be too familiar with, and it is also something that we should crucially understand because uh, I don't know where you are in your faith journey in this room, but there are people who function on different uh, parts of the Christian realm on extreme sides. 
You, you believe there's people who may be in this room who believe that salvation, whether wholeheartedly with conviction or functionally, that salvation is totally a work of man. And then you have others on the other side who say that you can live and do whatever you want because God did everything. But this passage that we're looking at this morning zeroes in that salvation is all of grace and that even the lives that we live post uh, being saved, post receiving the gospel is empowered by that grace. Now, if it's your first time here, I just want to catch you up to speed. For the past 12 weeks, we have been walking through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we've titled this series called Glorious Grace. And it's because Paul has been walking us through this grace and why it's so glorious. Um, We're only in the beginning part of chapter 2, and we've been here for 12 weeks. And in chapter 1, Paul begins to remind the Ephesians and us of our identity in Christ. We've learned that because of Christ, we have been chosen We've learned that because of Christ, we have been forgiven, we have been redeemed, we have received an inheritance, and and, and as Paul has communicated, this is who we are. This is our identity. And Pastor Matt mentioned himself that these are statuses that are given. They're not something that we earn. And then Paul transitioned in, in chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, to a prayer. And his prayer is that our hearts the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened. That is to have a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, that we may understand and know the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and most important, the exceeding power, the exceeding greatness of his power to those who believe. That's us. And this is the the problem with the Ephesians. They didn't realize that power. And that's our problem today. Our failure is to realize the exceeding greatness of the power of God in us who believe. And that's why Paul transitions into chapter 2 to explain the power of God, which is the gospel. He has gone out to unfold it, to expound it, to make it clear. As he has stated the past two weeks in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 and verses 4 through 7, he starts off with the bad news. We can only understand the power of God through salvation when we understand the bad news that leads to the good news. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 states that apart from Jesus Christ, that we are dead spiritually, that apart from Jesus Christ, we walk with the world, the devil, and the flesh. And apart from Jesus Christ, as a result, we are children of wrath. We stand condemned. And friend, if you are here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, this is your present state. But the good news begins with verse 4 with the phrase, but God. How many times in our own lives we were heading in a certain direction and God just stands in and we just step in and say, but God. God who is rich in love, rich in mercy, has given us grace in Jesus Christ. God has decided to show grace to stubborn, to rebellious, to disobedient, to good-for-nothing people. People who have been made in his image that have chosen to rebel has decided to show us grace in Jesus Christ. The good news is that God did not want us to remain condemned. He did not want us to remain dead spiritually, but he provided a rescue in Jesus Christ. He provided a way for us to have a right relationship with him. And beloved, that's the gospel. That's why we are here today. That's why we sing so passionately. And our passage today stands as a summary of those first seven verses. 
In these verses that we're going to focus at this morning, Paul is going to summarize the argument that he has been conducting in these first seven verses. And, and this argument lays out the cause, the means, and the effects of our salvation. So number one, the cause of salvation, grace. The text says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The word saved is derived from the Greek word soter, and it is used twice here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And this entire section is an explanation of what it means to be saved. In one sense, saved is a simple summary of the gospel message. You were dead in sin, you were living in it, you were headed towards judgment, and God saved you. However, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uses this word in a much richer and fuller context, employing the past, present, and future tenses of the same root word. According to the Apostle Paul, we have been saved, we are being saved, and one day we shall be saved. Theologian A.W. Pink quotes it like this, in the New Testament, salvation is threefold in scope, past, present, and future. And there is a threefold in its character. We are saved from the penalty of sin. We are saved from the power of sin. And one day we will be saved from the presence of sin. Therefore, every believer has been saved from the penalty of sin, is being saved from the power of sin, and will be saved from the presence of sin. When Jesus comes back, we shall be completely emancipated, set free from dominion and pollution of sin. And Paul says that this work of salvation is all of grace. That grace is the basis or cause of our salvation. Now, this word grace is, is a word that we often throw around a lot. So it'd be very helpful in our culture to define it. Grace can be defined as undeserved favor basically receiving something good when you don't deserve it. Again, you were dead in sin. You were living in it. You were heading towards final judgment, and God saved you. I'm also aware that there are some of you here who've, who received Jesus at a very young age, and, and this living in sin looked very differently. Maybe living in sin for you at, at age five was just being disobedient to your parents. Maybe it was just treating your brother or sister in a nasty way. But God had mercy on you and saved you at a young age. He gave you in his providence to be placed in a good Christian home. Or maybe you were like me. You lived a life of rebellion all the way into your 20s, and you realized the mercy of God when he saved you. And this act of saving is an act of grace. It's humbling. It's a shot to our pride and ego. Let's look back at to the text. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of worse, so that no one may boast. The text says that this is not your own doing. Now, to pull back the curtain a bit and to bring you into the seminary classroom, there are actually two schools of thought when it says, uh, when we connect that this is not your own doing to God's grace. Uh, there are some people who say that this is not your own doing only applies to God's grace, but not the faith. And then there are others who say that this is not your own doing both to grace and faith. And I agree with the latter, and the reason is because in the Greek grammar, the way that it is structured, that word this applies both to faith and to grace. So the whole salvation 
process, even the faith that is needed to be saved, is not your own doing. That's a hard pill to swallow to some of us. But it is something that God does in us. That even the faith, the whole process is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. That God did it all. That if you are saved today, it is because God woke you up. It is because God restored your senses. And it is because God has given you the ability to believe. So if God did everything and you did nothing, we have no reason to boast. The only thing we should do is praise. We should praise him for what he has done. Now, when the text also says not a result of works, uh, Paul is referring to works-based religion. This is something that both first century Jews and also Gentiles would have understood. To, to the Jewish person, in their mind, you had to keep the law. You had to keep the Ten Commandments and all of the obligations with both civil and ceremonial, everything, to try to earn God's favor. But also to the Gentile, to, to the false idols that they worshipped, the, their gods demanded uh, sacrifices of children. Uh, their gods demanded that you beat yourself up that you do all these things to inherit blessing, whether it's for fertility, whether it's for rain. They understood that you had to do a bunch of things to earn God's favor. But Paul says, no, salvation is all of grace. And because of that, you can't boast. You have no reason to brag. Warren Wiersbe says it like this, salvation cannot be of works because of the work of salvation has been already completed on the cross. This is the work that God does for us, and it is a finished work. We cannot add nothing to it, and we dare not take nothing from it. I also love the way Jonathan Edwards says it. He says, you attributed nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it possible. Think about that for a second. You attributed nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it possible. It was all of grace. Grace is the cause of our salvation. Let me illustrate it this way. The fact that you may live a better life, do better things, and are nicer may make you a better neighbor, but it doesn't make you fit for heaven. That can only happen by grace. Think about this for a second. Suppose there are three men who are standing at the coast of California, and they're all going to say, Let's race and swim to Hawaii. Even if it's Michael Phelps, the reality is that they're all going to die. They're not going to reach Hawaii because Hawaii is too far. And the thing is, is that God is too high. God is too holy even on our best days, on our best weeks, on our best years to make ourselves acceptable to him. Our salvation is only based on God's grace, on his rescue not on our merits. So if grace is the cause of our salvation, it's like one of those songs says, we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, it was a gift. So if grace is the cause, number two, the means of salvation is faith. Look back at verse 8. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So what then is faith? Faith is another word that's often thrown around in our context, but is awfully poorly defined. Faith is not just the mere intellectual reception of the Christian message, nor is it just belief alone. True faith is belief 
plus trust. It's both knowing but also clinging, wholeheartedly trusting. And faith is the means by which God's salvation comes to us. The grace that results in salvation is received through faith. We are saved because of or on the basis of grace, which is only attained through faith or by the means of faith. We are not saved because of our faith or the basis of faith. Faith alone does not save anyone. It is only grace. It's the object of the one person's faith that saved. We are only saved because of the grace that we received in Jesus. Faith is merely an instrument. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Similar to a syringe that delivers life-saving medicine. A person is saved because of the medicine, not because of the syringe. The syringe is just merely the instrument, the means by which the medicine gets to the person. Yet without the syringe, the syringe is needed, faith, healing would not be possible. Faith is the syringe of our salvation. Faith is the response by which salvation through the perfect work of Christ it is received. Faith is not a simple work. It is just simply trusting and resting in what Christ has already accomplished for us on the cross. I love the way David Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it. He says this, As we think of faith, we must be careful, therefore to view it in this light. Faith is not the cause of salvation. Christ is the cause of salvation. The grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ is the cause of salvation, and I must never speak in such a way as to represent faith as the cause of my salvation. What is faith then? Faith is but the instrument through which it comes to me. By grace, you are saved through faith. Faith is the channel. It is the instrument through which this salvation is of the grace of God comes to me. I am saved by grace through faith. It is just the medium through which the grace of God bringing salvation enters my life. We must be extremely careful, therefore, to never say that it is our believing that saves us. Belief does not save. Faith does not save. Christ alone saves. It is by faith alone in Christ alone. Not faith in myself, but faith in Christ. Christ in his finished work, not my belief, not my faith, not my understanding, nothing I can do. This is what Paul says, not of yourselves, boasting as excluded by grace through faith. This is why in the hymn that I love, it says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. We have seen that grace is the cause of salvation. Faith is the means of our salvation. Now we're going to see that number three, the effects of salvation, good works. Look at verse 10. It says that, we, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One of the things I, I, I love in, in the Bible study process is that there is a shift in this, in this verse. In, in verses 8 and 9, it's, for you have been saved. For you, and now he says, we. He says, for we are his workmanship. From you, Ephesians, to we, the universal and global church, we are his workmanship. The word translated as workmanship comes from the Greek word poema. It is the idea of, of being someone's work of art. 
the a creative expression of a master artist. The church is God's masterpiece. The church is God's workmanship. And those who are in the church, those who are in Christ Jesus, are being carefully crafted by God to, that is going to bring him a masterpiece when Jesus comes back. So the question is, if we are his workmanship, if we are his masterpiece, what are we made for? This is, this is something that most people struggle with. What is my purpose? What is the meaning of life? I've heard people who are struggling with depression and they struggle because they feel like as if life has no meaning. And this text shows us that if you are in Christ, you have meaning. It says that you are his masterpiece. So what are we made for? The text says this, that as his masterpiece, as his workmanship, that we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The reality is that God already created and planned out the good works that we should walk in them. A Christian, therefore, is a person that God has recreated, has reworked, has refashioned for a specific purpose. And you, as you notice in the text says, what kind of work is it? It is good works in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is that the effects or fruit of your salvation is good works. Good works only demonstrate that God has saved you. You don't earn it. But salvation, as we've been hammering down, it is a gift. We can't boast. We can't earn it. But even though salvation is by grace through faith, it always produces good works. And, and some people, maybe you're in this room, you struggle with this idea of like, wait a minute, Pastor Jonathan, didn't you just say that works do not save us, and now you're telling us we have to work? But the reality is, we are not saved by works, we're saved for works. The grace that saves you is never alone. It always is accompanied by good works. This is the same idea that both Paul and James, people that, that, that non-believers try to pit against each other as if it contradicts, but they're both saying the same thing. James chapter 2, verse 26 says that faith apart from works is dead. The same thing. So if we genuinely know Jesus, if we genuinely know the grace of God, we will bear fruit in our lives. And our lives will be filled with good works because we're just simply walking in the path that God has called us in. These works that we're called to walk in are now empowered and made possible by grace. It is God's grace in us and through us that allows us to carry these things out. Some of these good works that God has prepared us to walk in may include just the preaching of the gospel, may include planting churches, may include feeding the hungry, maybe visiting the imprisoned, praying for the sick, giving to the poor, teaching the Bible, comforting the broken, contending for justice, parenting your children, babysitting for a couple so that they can have a date night, mentoring students, doing missions work here and abroad, and so much more. Charles Spurgeon says it like this, good works are not to be an amusement, but a vocation. We are not, we are not to indulge in them occasionally, but they are to be the tenor and bent of our lives. I've often heard it like this, that, that, that we are supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. 
We are the means. Just as faith is a means, we are the means by which God is working in his world. We are the means. If you are in Jesus, we are the means by which God answers prayer, by which God answers uh, poverty, by which God answers a lot of the ills in this world. We are the means. And these works are those that God prepared for us to walk in beforehand in eternity past. I heard a story because I, I, I heard a story and explained this way and it clicked and I loved it and I'm going to take it. But I, I didn't grow up watching Westerns. So it's like, come on, you guys know me. I'm a sports guy. It's like, you're going to come up with a Western. Hold up, time out. Jonathan, you didn't get that out your own. But there was an old Western movie called The, the Hanging Tree. And in the movie, there's this character, uh, Dr. Gary Cooper. And, and in the movie, uh, there's a young man who, who's shot and, and he's about to die. And he goes to Dr. Gary Cooper, and this guy's dying. He, he's about to go and stand before God in judgment. And Dr. Gary Cooper is able to, to find the bullet, remove it, and save this guy's life. And now the, this person, this young man, filled with gratitude, asks Dr. Gary Cooper, like, hey, doctor, thank you so much for saving me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for rescuing me. Is, the, is there anything I can do for you? I am just so thankful. And the doctor pauses, thinks about it, and he says, you know what? I've always needed an assistant. Why don't you assist me? I will teach you. I will train you. I'll teach you everything you need to know and just assist me in this work. And then the young man responds, okay, cool. I will love to assist you. Just for how long? And the doctor responds, for the rest of your life, because that's how long it would have taken if I would have not taken that bullet out your body. And what God is saying to us that this is what he wants, that for the rest of your life on earth, he has saved you. For the rest of your life on earth, he wants you to yield yourself to his purposes, for his pleasure, and to his goals, for his glory. God has saved us. He has redeemed us. And there is no better response than to say, God, because you saved me, I give you my life. Take, do what you want with it. So as I conclude, and as the band comes back up, although the truth that salvation is by grace through faith, it may seem simple, but for others it may seem like something too too hard to understand. But even if you've been here, been walking with the Lord for a long period of time, this is something that we have to constantly remind ourselves up all the time. Because it requires that we recognize that we humbly come empty-handed to God. We have nothing to bring to God. We have nothing to to offer to him. We earn nothing. Jesus earns it all. We boast in nothing. Jesus gets our boasting. We don't save ourselves. Jesus alone saves us. So what is the response? The response is two things. Humility and worship. Humility Because the reality is, we don't have nothing to boast. God did everything. And worship, because God is awesome. Because God was so gracious, and he saved us. That's why the hymn John Newton wrote, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. 
How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. To us grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. Grace will lead us home. Beloved, it was all of grace. Jesus paid it all. Salvation from start to finish was all of grace. Let's pray.